Recording from Boulder, Colorado, on April Fool's Day 2017, it's Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners. It's a podcast where two men of great faith and even greater doubt talk about pop culture, sports, science, history. It's the events of the day as seen through the lens of eternity. It's the seven deadly sins meets the eightfold path. I'm your host, Ray Gustinelli, and I'm here today with the greatest of all sinners, Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon. Good morning. Good morning to you, Jeff, and my brother, Paul Gustinelli, who we call Dr. Zen. Morning, guys. It's been a little while. Good to see you. It's been uh, quite a while, several weeks now, and, uh, before we got to this episode 13 in our series, Baker's Lucky Dozen. Number 13. And uh, you guys are happy and healthy, I take it? Yes, sir. Yes. yes. Well, it, you know, I was really fearful because um, I've been lonely for the Augustinelli brothers. We've mm-hmm. been—it's been a big break for us. We have not been apart uh, for this long during no. our podcasting career. No, separation. And so anxiety. I was super worried I was going to show up for April Fools and just ring a doorbell and no one would answer today. So <laughs> ecstatic that we're here today. I have a few opening comments for you, if Please we could. Please do. Um, watching some recent stuff, want you guys to kind of, uh, you know, uh, and, and then I have a question for you. Sure. Um, so loved watching the uh, Kurt Cobain documentary Montage of Heck. Mm-hmm. Super interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, the theme kind of for me was uncomfortable documentaries. Watched mm-hmm. the Metallica documentary about yeah. them breaking up and this and that. And it was incredibly hard to watch. It's had all sorts of difficulties, all sorts of substance abuse issues, and a band breaking up and relationships breaking up, and it was really awful. Um, enjoyed, on the other hand, a Crossfire Hurricane about the Rolling Stones. Um, watched Beware of Slender Man. Now, you guys mm-hmm. aware of the Slender I've Man? I've heard about it. Yeah. Yeah. So this was a project created a, to try to create a myth, essentially a modern myth in today's day and age, with Photoshop and the stuff and this and and that sort of thing where Slenderman is a is an abnormally tall, very long-limbed man who appears in pictures with children, oh and those children oftentimes uh, uh, go missing, theoretically, oh afterwards. Yeah. And, uh, and there's all sorts of real trouble and difficulty with these forums because it's, it's become... A, a, a bit difficult to discern what's real and what's not, mm. and people thinking there is a Slenderman and there isn't a Slenderman. The um, but where the Slenderman is an HBO documentary about two young girls who uh, tried to murder one of their very best friends, mm-hmm. thinking they were pleasing Slenderman. Oh boy! Um, and it was uh, <laughs> oh boy, that's not good. <laughs> oh, that's so bad. Tell me that's an April Fool's. <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's and uh, and there was actually and what I wanted. Uh, turn it to just a little bit, uh, very troubling um, and very fascinating when you look up Slender Man and start messing around with that. My son introduced me to Slender Man in several different ways. Thanks for that nightmare fuel, Christian Whedon. <laughs> but um, one of the things he did is he, he let me play a video game called Slender the Eight Pages, which is quite scary, very simple game, quite scary, involves Slender Man. And, um, and this, this genre of horror... Video games, you know, I love center, uh, horror and, and terror cinema and this and that, but some of the scariest stuff I've ever seen um, actually comes from the video game world. Mm. And, uh, and one of them was um, a game called, well, it's, it's, I think it's a playable demo, it's no longer available, it's called PT, uh, designed by Hideo Kojima, a giant um, in uh, game design, and then also Guillermo, uh, Guillermo del Toro. Sure. They were going to put together mm-hmm. a game that I think was a Silent Hills game, my son's going to kill me that I didn't know that. 
But um, the game was canceled, and so in a spit of peak or whatever, um, this PT playable demo is no longer around. And yet a lot of people consider it to be one of the greatest video games ever made, mm -hmm. certainly certainly scary video games. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, with that, with that kind of, you know, when I was a kid, I was really scared about Killer Bees. Was a couple, <laughs> a couple movies, wow. uh -huh. a couple movies uh -huh. came out, really scared me to death. Uh -huh. um, and uh, what are some things that are scary to you guys? <laughs> I love the whole disaster movie genre that was big back me in the too. '70s. That's what you're flashing back to, right? Oh, yeah. Towering Inferno, Poseidon Adventure, Earthquake, mm -hmm. right? Incensor, Airplane. Those weren't ever scary to me. They were kind of fun to me. But what was scary to me, and this is a little embarrassing to confess, but most scary for me in the last 20, 30 years is the Blair Witch Project. Oh, yeah. Yes. What, yeah? Agreed. Okay. I'm Agreed. okay with that. You're okay Super scary. Watching the end yeah. of that, the guy in the corner, spoiler alert, in the corner, <laughs> just, you know, frozen in place when we had been prepped for that is the way that the Blair Witch, you know, kills its victims, just sent this chill through my spine and I could not sleep that night. It was absolutely terrifying in this primal way that I had never really been scared before or since, I have to say. And so I, you know, abstracting it a little bit, it's paralysis, that kind of paralysis in the face of evil or something that is going to do you harm and you're completely helpless mm. um, is is extremely, extremely terrifying for me. The, the, the Diving Bell and the Butterfly was a movie you guys might have seen yeah. with this uh, true story of a, of a French guy who has this disease where he had to communicate through his, his eyelid. And that was, you know, albeit an inspiring movie of human resilience, for to be in that condition where you're completely paralyzed was uh, also utterly terrifying for me. So that's what I'm going with. Let me riff off that for a second and get a little, uh, let's just share a little bit of podcast etiquette. You do say the word spoiler alert before you give oh, us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So just, you know, we'll just tighten that up. And then the other thing, Blair Witch. So scary, really terrifying. And at the time, you know, I was one, <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say that I was part of the world that was not quite sure whether or not it was real found footage or not. Mm -hmm. And there was any truth to it. There was this website that looked very compelling and I was researching it. I desperately wanted to see it. Had to go and buy tickets beforehand because it was this phenomenon at the mm -hmm. time. You know, everybody was freaking out. And went and saw a midnight viewing of it. Awful decision. <laughs> and, and had some really scary moments. I was there with some people afterwards, strangers, that were just asking me questions about, you know, spoiler alert, what's in the bandana? And I'm like, I thought it was teeth. And it just stunned her. She was not able to say a word until about, and the rest of us were talking, until we simultaneously got up and ran out of the movie theater. It was just like there was this panicky, one person got up and we all ran out. We're running through an empty parking lot. I go home, it's like three in the morning, my wife is on the couch. I crash into the house, she's terrified. I spend just a few minutes talking with her about the movie. The movie, me talking about the movie gave my wife nightmares. <laughs> so interesting, interesting twist a little bit. Hey, guys, I wanna make very clear something. It's been a business problem for us and a little bit of a philosophical problem here on the program. I want to make it real clear to the sponsors that you can make every effort to distance yourself in every way from Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon, the greatest of all sinners. Yes. You have the opportunity to fully embrace Dr. Zen, Ray Agostinelli, the Agostinelli brothers, and the better angels of our podcast, and to make very clear that you have nothing to do with me. Ray, tell them about it. Yeah, that. I mean, we have the advanced technology now, much in the same way that one can micro-target display ads on the web, and you can decide 
who's going to see what at the at the final level yes. of detail in terms of the content. You know, right. you want to be able to sort of target certain people who are looking at certain content. Yes, we have that ability, if you do want to sponsor the show, to make it very clear that you are endorsing implicitly by your sponsorship only a certain portion right. of the content, right. a certain number of the speakers. So if you wanted to actually say, yeah, we want to support uh, the Augustinelli brothers, but not Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon, we'd have the ability to do that. The technology is a little bit too much, too complicated to explain right now. But they won't we, get it. It's been figured out, so Thank we can you. do that. And I will say, or vice versa, if you want to endorse Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon, but not the other guys... That, that's doable as well. That's that's not come up. But thank it you. hasn't yet come that's, up. Yes, it's great. been the other way. Okay. Um, let me hit you guys with this. Is owning a car a thing of the past? Is it vestigial in our, in our culture? Well. Is anyone going to own a car in the future with the incredible rate of change regarding autonomous vehicles, the Uberization of things? Um, I was, I opened a Wired magazine uh, this week and, um, and Toyota has a fuel cell vehicle called the Mirai that's coming out that you're going to be able to lease for 350 bucks. It's got about the same range as the, as the Teslas and the Bolts and those sorts of things. Uh, no, I shouldn't say that. The Tesla, uh, certainly the Tesla. And we, gentlemen, we're getting to the point where either through electric, which seems a little more promising, or maybe fuel cell, which we're brand new to, to getting to 400, 500-ish miles of being able to have that as your tank is will get you to that stage. When you have that, there's going to be no reason on earth to own a gas vehicle uh, even if you wanted to. And so it's been so important in so many ways. But, um, are, you know, if uh, our kids, are they going to even, or kids' kids, are they going to even know what it's like to own a vehicle or ever even want to? From where I sit this morning, having just yesterday morning put over $3,000 into my car, <laughs> my 15-year-old car to repair it and to get back on the road, I'm, I'm just going to say sign me up. Sign me up for the, for the leasable, right. flexible, you know, uh, call, call in your app for the Uber that shows up without a driver. Yes. You know, I don't need to own it. Um, I don't need to own a house either, and I got one of those, you know? <laughs> so I think it is going in that direction. This may, It might be more like an urban fantasy. I don't know if the rural and suburban, you know, lifestyles are going to be quite that uh, forgiving of not, or, or maybe ready for, you know, not owning that sim archetypal symbol of American independence and hitting the road and having the power to go where you want, when you want, throw your baby in the backseat and, uh, you know, go and have a good time or <laughs> maybe your front seat and then you stop and get in the back. You know what I mean. I know, you know what you mean. Yeah, 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 we know yeah, what you yeah. mean. That, that kind of American dream. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, there's a couple of questions, which is, are, are we going to have gas vehicles at all? And right. I think the question may well be no. And then there's a question, I are we going to have phrase. any vehicles at all? Because I want you to riff on that, but yeah. I, I don't want to call it that. I want to have coined the phrase, we call them fossil cars. Fossil, fossil cars. cars. I like oh, that. So yeah. ask the question again. Fossil I mean, cars. Are we going to have well, I think that because there are, are we going to have gas vehicles? And then are we going to have any Fossil vehicles cars. at all? I mean, I mean, I mean, in the sense that we'll be owning our own, or are we going to let the self-driving Uber <laughs> come and take us where we want to go? So yeah, a lot to unpack there, a lot to predict. I have no friggin' idea, but I do want my jetpack when it comes, when, when they come around, I, I was promised a jetpack. And it goes to that same, yes. Yeah. Uh, you know, as they say, and I want that. But hey, let's talk about. Um, hey, a cup, a cup. hey. Oh, I'm sorry. Do it. 
I was just riffing with your head. Oh, You're like, hey, let's, hey, let's, hey, let's do this hey, podcast. We're gonna, I'm going to hit you up and, and get your thoughts on, on being middle-aged and lonely, if yeah. in fact you are. I mean, I know you're middle-aged. I don't know if you're lonely, but let's talk about that. And let's talk about a, co- a couple of cultural things. I'm going to hit you up for your thoughts on Ghost in the Shell and Chuck Berry, and then we've got a couple of new segments at the end of this. But first things first, nowadays um, there's been a lot of sort of conversation around the fact that in what seems to be a, a, a hyper-connected age, there are actually many in our cohort, which are kind of middle-aged guys, um, and, and so maybe including us, that are increasingly isolated. We, we don't have the social fabric that puts us in touch with our peers on a regular enough basis because we're so busy, busy with work and we're so busy with family and so forth. And let me get your thoughts. Uh, firstly, Jeff, is, is this phenomenon true in your life and what shall we do about it? Well, you know, we you generally will curate uh, questions for us in this. And, and, and this is something that I found out there because I, I found it uh, and I resonated with it pretty powerfully uh, in that I live in a, in a relatively lonely world and it's become an issue for me. And then riffing with you, I found it to be very profitable to kind of explore my own life and intentionality about these sorts of things. Because I went to law school intending to run law firms. That's I, I'm a management guy. I come from a project management background. Um, I, 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 what I was saying to myself is I love working with people. I love managing people. I love leading people. And then I had a nasty breakup with my firm, and I was all alone, and I just friggin' loved it. I just loved it. And, and I, it, there were some things about it that were enormously helpful and I feel really helped me grow. But three years into it, I find myself very lonely. Um, it hurt. There was, a, there was a hole in my heart shaped like the Augustinelli brothers, the couple weeks where we put off podcasting and this and that. Those connections are enormously important. And then I, you know, I went to, uh, I, I got a master's degree in law firm management, think I was going to be with big firms and running these sorts of things. Now I'm very intentionally alone, recently working with my wife, and, and other attorneys, too, more, intentionally trying to cultivate more of these connections in my life. And it has been very profitable, but not entirely successful because I still find myself. I think I'm lonelier in general than you guys when we're kind of shooting it around the room. But um, but that that's a problem. It's an issue. And I need to address it. I need to, There needs to be some intentionality. There needs to be some agency in it. And so it was just jolting to me because one of the things that I want to hear from you a little bit later is that... That is that there's this idea that it's uh, it, and it doesn't surprise us a bit and you're going to talk about it too, Doctor Zen, mm-hmm. and that is is that um, is that it's a healthcare issue, it's it's a mental health issue, it's a health problem potentially. So you know I do think that it's and I don't think it's I don't think it's just middle aged people either. I think that the articles we're reading right now have to do with a lot of that. But um, that I when I talk to people recently about these kinds of issues, um, I think that everyone's suffering a little bit about being a little bit lonely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to riff on it a little bit, and I want to start with the term middle-aged. Mm-hmm. Um, you guys just let that go. You just accepted that. And That's I want to true. say that yesterday, my girlfriend turned to me, and she said, I'm middle-aged. And I said, no, you're not. You're 43 years old. You're not middle-aged. She said, yeah, I'm middle-aged, you know, technically. And she's reading a textbook, getting a master's in psychology. And she said, yeah, you know, it's defined as 40 to 65. And, you know, if you balance it out and average life expectancy, whatever it is, it's, that's, that's middle age. 
And I said, no, 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 honey, I'm 53. I'm not middle-aged. You're definitely not middle-aged. She went on and on about the technical definition. And my, you know, my brilliant response was, no, I'm not. That's good. Yeah. Uh, so that's wow. where, yeah. So I think you that's know? called denial. It, yeah. Call yeah. it whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> it worked with your mom. Right. It'll work with your wife. Right. It'll work with right. your girlfriend. Right. It always works. Yeah. But we'll right. just go along with that. This this uh, theme of isolation and how it is affecting us and where it might go. Did you guys ever read a book by Isaac Asimov, my favorite writer when I was a teenager, science fiction writer, called The Naked Sun? So it's no. set in this far future world where everybody is in their own house it's on another planet, and nobody has face-to-face contact anymore. Robots do everything. There's no face-to-face contact. And it's a, I think there's a murder mystery that happens in this world where nobody has contact. And it's that maybe is where we're heading. But there's <laughs> at least a sociopathy and psychopathy for sure. And I think maybe we see that, Jeff, in you. I don't know. Are you becoming like that when you get become more and more alienated? I think we see... All of us. More of a sociopath? <laughs> well, I don't know where he was going with that. I think that's where he was going with that. Yikes, that hurts. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you. I'll give. <laughs> I didn't mean to imply that. Um, we'll have to explore that in another podcast. There's a lot to unpack there. I'll, I'll give you a dose of Dharma on community. In, in the Buddhist world, we talk about three treasures. We call them, which is Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, are the words for it. And Buddha is is the truth. Um, it's the truth of our nature, our true nature. Dharma is our the teachings or our life, the way the truth shows up in all of our individual lives and phenomena. And then Sangha is the most precious of those, and that's community. Sangha is community. Uh-huh. And that's the, the harmony of the truth with the way it shows up in all of our individual lives. And that's the most that's the most precious thing. It's also the most fragile thing. It's the most difficult thing to really work through. And in, in our culture, yeah, we don't have so much opportunity and probably less and less opportunity to live together in intentional tribes and in intentional communities where we're sharing our hearts, where we're sharing our flaws. We sort of all have to be, you know, at our a game all the time it seems and I'm happy that I've got some tribes um, you guys is one of that one of those tribes my soccer team is another tribe we've got guys in our 50s who've been playing soccer together for 25 years and that is incredibly important to keep us from being you know sicker and sicker um, we're, we're getting detribalized or maybe our tribes are moving online into these online communities and stuff and there's something so lacking in that when you can't get Get together and be messy together and just see the expressions on people's faces and be stupid together. Those are the those are the important things to share, I think, is that messiness. And that's happening less and less. And it can't, it, it, you know, it, it can't happen online so much. I'm going to so. pick up on that sickness theme because um, it has been increasingly documented here that this phenomenon, which I think we all are aware of, and it plays in our lives to different degrees, actually is, is seen to be a threat to public health. It really is a public health hazard in the sense that people we know that there is connections between mental and physical and our well-being mentally and our participation in these communities do have a direct impact on not just our mental health but our physical health as well and this this is going in a bad direction unless we can start to turn these things around and you both also touched on something that I think is part of the solution if not the whole thing which is intentionality is that it's not going to happen by itself mm-hmm. because the the forces toward driving us towards isolation are greater than those that are driving us towards community in a lot of ways because 
uh, you know, for for various reasons. So we, uh, those of us, we got to be focused on making sure that those communities are treasured and that we make them real in our lives as well, much as possible. That, I think that that's maybe the most important thing that I, I heard from both of you. And, and, and it's interesting how we are evolving away from that community in a way that to me is a devolution. All, you know, throughout most of our history, communities serve to protect us in every way. And, uh, in, you know, in, in the Western world, for a long time, the or, organized religion and churches and those sorts of groups, that was one good thing they did do, was get people together and mm-hmm. allow you to sing and allow you to be together and allow you to have the coffee clatch afterwards and all of those sorts of things. And we may, we may have to do that ourselves now. It might, are, we, are we pivoting to more of an individual component of that where we have to make the community happen rather than it happening as an organic part of just our survival of having to be together in a community? It's interesting to talk about. Okay, and possibly the worst segue ever. <laughs> Let me try to go from white middle-class male vulnerability to white middle-class male hegemony. Whoa, <laughs> Let's whoa. talk about cultural whitewashing. Yay. The way in which the culture products that are produced largely, let's face it, out of white, middle-class white males today in our, in our society um, may or may not appropriate different cultures. In particular, let's talk about Ghost in the Shell, which is a new movie coming out, which as as many people may know, um, is a live action version of a uh, Japanese manga graphic comic from 20 or so years ago. The the original uh, lead character was a character called Major. She was a Japanese girl, cyborg. And in the current movie version, it casts Scarlett Johansson, ScarJo, in the role of this manga cyborg. (laughs) Um, Now, let me get your thoughts. Is this cultural appropriation? Is this whitewashing? Do you have a problem with this? How would we feel if a Japanese Hunger Games had an Asiatic Katniss Everdeen? Paul, what do you think? Well, Ray, you do realize that The Hunger Games is actually based on a Japanese novel and movie called Battle Royale. I wish I did because it would make me seem much smarter than I now do. I did not know that. I, so I knew cultural that. appropriation works. It's evil, subtle inside tentacles, all of our brains, ever inside all of our brains. Yes, over and over again. Well, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna go with a with a both sides of the road and set this up for the greatest of all sinners, Jeff, to kind of knock this one out of the park. I'm gonna say yes, it's okay to have ScarJo cast. In this role, we've got Shakespeare, where we cast differently cast characters, the men in the women's roles, the women in the men's roles, different races, different time frames. And, and all of those are bringing out a different dimension of the work. So I think that is that is definitely applicable here, where we're potentially bringing out a different aspect of the work by casting somebody different than the, than the original. And in fact, I understand that the original director of the Japanese original movies, the uh, animated movies was very much in favor of the casting of Scarlett Johansson That's in, in this road saying, go, take it and run with it. It's just a framework to like do some um, plenty creative things with. So it's okay. And 
Of course it's not okay to have this level of cultural appropriation with a history of Bruce Lee not getting the lead role in Kung Fu, countless other appropriations that take what is a, a, a very unique cultural artifact and then bringing it over to another culture and just for reasons of marketing and mass market and saying, well, this is about us and the important people are the white ones and the less important people are the yellow ones and the potential implicit implications in doing that that might come through there um, definitely the danger of sending the wrong message and, and engaging in an act of cultural hegemony that could have repercussions down the line so I'll just sum it up Scarlett Johansson good cultural hegemony bad what do you say, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> well, I agree with the, the last statement. That's that's for sure. Uh, you know, I think that any deviation from an artist's original vision is fraught with peril. And when it also touches the third rail of race, uh, it's doubly fraught. Um, if the decision is done for racist or prejudiced reasons, then it's ugly. Um, if there's an artistic justification for the washing or appropriation, I, I think it can be valid. Um I don't understand, however, the principled reason to use a term like whitewashing uh, that doesn't make it racist or prejudiced in its very way that it's phrased. Uh, no one would dream of saying uh, that um, that the uh, the art the. Hunger Games example was a yellow washing uh, that would be horrific to us. I, I think that these words are ugly and they're difficult. I would like us to talk it, about it in terms of cultural appropriation. Um, adapting works with alternative actor choices can be a valid artistic choice, in my opinion. Uh, I'd love to see Donald Glover in Hamlet or as Romeo. Uh, would that be blackwashing Shakespeare? <laughs> I, I, if so, fantastic. I'm happy about it. Um, and I'm sorry for breaking my own rule there, but I'm trying to prove a point. Casting Glover to pay uh, historic uh, scientist Marie Curie or Gandhi <laughs> or Mother <laughs> Teresa would need a very compelling artistic justification to survive criticism. But guys, it's manga, not the color purple. Uh, should, um, you know, a uh, ghost uh, be presented in spoken Japanese to be appropriate? Uh, Scarlett Johansson is perhaps the, uh, the biggest female movie star, action movie star on earth. I buy casting her in an American-made film. Films are a commercial endeavor. Who else would you cast to stay true? And, and can you be capital T true to manga um, to make this right <laughs> thinking? Um, I'm a fan of Scarlett Johansson. I pay to see her on the big screen. Hypothetically, gentlemen, I agree. I'd rather see a top flight, A-list, English-speaking, Asian woman who is as sexy and powerful on screen as Scarlett Johansson. But where is this superwoman? I'm not advocating Tropic Thunder level blackface, etc. Are you guys equally troubled potentially by the great horror film, uh, Japanese horror film Ringu being remade as The Ring and, and being presented as a culturally American version and vision of that? I'm not. Um, you know, Charlton Heston in Touch of Evil, uh, not a very uh, believable Mexican man, but delivers a tour de force performance and perhaps is more of a victim of bad makeup than anything else. <laughs> He's spectacular in that role. Kung Fu and David Carradine, um, you know, where the, the word whitewashing doesn't appear on the Wikipedia page. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, you know, I think that it's, it's, we have to be careful. And I think that, um, 
you know, uh, Scarlett Johansson good uh, cultural appropriation bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't top that. And I'm, before we move on, I cannot let the topic go in the David Carradine mode to fail to give a shout out to all of our favorite Swedish-American actors. Um, Warner Olin's performance in the 1950s TV series and movies. Charlie Chan. Oh, Charlie Chan oh. Yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, as a child I loved, and as an adult I kind of cringe. You're, you're conflicted about it. Yeah, hard not to be. How much less Chinese could you be? Yes, <laughs> yes, the answer is none. None <laughs> less. less Chinese. <laughs> Chuck Berry died this past week, this oh. week in Celebrity Death, an icon for all the reasons that we know, the rock and roll pantheon, he is one of probably the top four or five that most people would put him in there. Give, give me the thing you like most about Chuck Terry. Well, and uh, I'm going to cheat with your rule and give you a few things, if you don't mind. Um, you know, it, it, an idea of how powerful uh, Chuck Berry's uh, impact on our world is, is that uh, his Johnny Be Good is the only rock and roll song included on the Voyager golden record sent mm -hmm. out into space, mm -hmm. leading to our ultimate doom uh, when aliens pick that up. But maybe there'll be so charmed with Chuck Berry that they'll choose not to uh, annihilate us. Mm -hmm. that's, a, that's a thought. <laughs> Can I just ask, did a turntable go up in Voyager 2, or do we expect the, 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 the aliens to, to be able to play the LP with their own turntables, do you know? Well, they we I think we're expecting that they would be able to do it without a turntable if okay. they're aliens and they have that technology. Right. Okay. Okay. I don't think it's unreasonable. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, let's uh, just a few other things. Spectacular legal shenanigans. There's going to be a wonderful movie made about Chuck Berry someday. Yeah. Um, so many convictions, um, <laughs> but so amazingly talented. So few acquittals. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he had been more generous with piano player and long-term collaborator Johnny Johnson, who was such an important part of writing almost all of the CB hits that we know and love. Um, still was rocking hard in his 80s. Uh, you, you, you alluded to it. Rolling Stone's greatest artists of all time. Beatles, Dylan's, Dylan, Elvis Stone's Barry. And I can live with that. I don't, I don't quibble with that. So one of the great uh, rock and rollers of all time. I, I, I love the music when I heard it. I'm not going to pretend that I like would put on Chuck Berry music, you know, <laughs> once a week. Um, maybe I should have. Maybe in the, in the future I will and it will come through. But um, definitely with, with our dad being a guy who was into 50s and 60s rock playing it, you know, while we were growing up, it's, it's just part of, you know, part of my upbringing and it feels like part of my bloodstream. And that's what I'll say about him just to sum it up what comes through as the top thing is just this rebellious spirit. It's this live wire energy that comes through in his music that I can just feel in my body. Fantastic. What I liked best was the way he articulated words such that you can hear them, you know what he was saying, he meant words mattered, not just the rhythm, not just the beat, not just the melody. Fantastic. Love that yeah. fact. Words. Hey, we're going to have a new segment here. It's called Ask Dr. Zen, and I'd like you... Greatest of all sinners, to pose a question to Dr. Zen. Well, this one is not particularly from me. Uh, this is from one of our uh, faithful listeners. This is from Xerxes from Thessalonica, who writes, <laughs> oh, it's a guy, um, can I meditate lying down? Um, I always hear to sit up straight across, uh, be cross-legged. Um, are there any downsides to me <laughs> meditating while lying in repose? And this isn't coming from you. You're not trying to do this or doing this. This is, this uh, is from Xerxes. 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 Right. Okay. Um, dear Xerxes, uh, <laughs> the Buddhist tradition actually does have something to say about this. We say that there are really only four positions that a human body can take. Sitting, 
lying down, standing, and walking. And actually everything, all movements, are variations or just manifestations of you know, one or more of these, of these fundamental postures. And the Zen tradition goes on to say that of these four, the sitting posture is the best posture for meditation because it balances relaxation and alertness. And the other postures tend to fall in one or the other directions with movement, running or walking, being perhaps a little more on the side of uh, less relaxation and uh, lying down, the point of your question, being more on the side of perhaps too much relaxation, too much relaxation, not, not, not enough relaxation. So uh, you could tend to fall asleep when you're lying down. That's a, that's a drawback in it as far as perfect. But that said, you can meditate in all of those postures in all different ways, just as long as you maintain your focus and maintain your alertness. You can cultivate samadhi, meditation, concentration, energy. So, so Xerxes, if you're uh, listening today, um, it, it, when you're listening to Calm.com, uh, do it um, sitting up if you possibly can. Yes. Unless you can balance it the other way. Sounds good. Note to, note to, note to Xerxes. Right. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> hey, uh, next segment. Loving, not loving. I want to get you guys to tell me something that you're loving nowadays yes. and something that maybe you're not loving so much. Uh, net, I'll start with me, Jeffrey Lawrence Sweden, The Greatest of All Sinners, Netflix series Abstract. Uh, yep. Because they got to tell us apart. I have to make sure yes, that they can tell yeah, us apart. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I love design. <laughs> As if your guys' voices are the ones that are alike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, I love design and that sort of thing, but yep. even this seemed a little boring or I didn't know about it and I tried it. Um, and so Abstract takes uh, six individuals that are dealing with uh, disparate uh, 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 trades and, and uh Illustrators, shoe designers, the Nike shoe designer, the a guy who is in charge of uh, Chrysler car design and Fiat around the world, and um, it just—it's fascinating. I, I love it, and it's—it's it's very interesting. It's a little bit heady, um, and it's uh, short on excitement, but inter- you know, long on interest. And uh, and then the not loving would be the uh, Morley Morrison uh, repetitive word trope Geico podcasting ad. It drives me absolutely <laughs> nuts. It's dealing with the word more, and it deals with it in kind of an insipid way for thirty very very difficult seconds for me. Wow. <laughs> um, I I want to say uh, thank you guys for telling me lovings and not lovings because you guys are my curators. So I'm loving you guys as the curators of what I hope to love oh. in the future. That's so um, meta. Yeah, well, I mean, it was just preparatory. To oh, oh I and not bad. I just wanted to say, and not bad from a yeah. psychopath. <laughs> exactly. Despite your socio slash psychopathic <laughs> tendencies, Jess, I love your recommendations. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with loving a couple of things. Um, I don't have a not loving. I'm going to go with OJ Made in America, the documentary, yeah. oh, which yeah, now on, I'm watching it on Hulu. Um, three episodes, three hours of peace, amazingly sensitive mel- intermingling of the themes of race in America, celebrity worship in America, this horrific crime, and how it was handled and how it transpired, um, psych- the psychological dimension of the case. Fascinating, amazingly well done, recommended. Um, and then in also loving in a similar vein is the movie Get Out, put mm-hmm. out, getting a lot of press these days, and I do recommend it. Great um, racially themed horror movie. Black guy gets invited to the 
home of his white girlfriend's parents and the the uh, interesting things that ensue. Highly recommended. Great. On the loving side, I'm going to go with uh, Legion, TV show by mm. Noah Hawley, also the showrunner of Fargo. And if you like Fargo, you'd probably like this one. I got to say, I am not... It, it's in the, the X-Men milieu, and it concerns a guy who may or may not be uh, crazy. Uh, he may be schizophrenic. He could be the most powerful mutant in the universe, and it has to do with him wrestling with these demons inside him. Um, so I will say that I'm loving it, and I'm doing it particularly from the point of view of somebody who don't, doesn't typically like the superhero or the X-Men genre. So it's quite compelling. Very visual compelling in particular. On the not-loving side, I'm going to go with a broad theme as opposed to a thing. And that theme <laughs> is going to be the low signal-to-noise ratio that I'm experiencing in society in general. I would like there to be more signal and less noise. I think there's just a lot of chatter, a lot of stuff, and maybe it's my problem. Maybe I just have to deal with how to get at the signals, but don't listen to NPR nearly as much. And in fact, don't listen to it at all nowadays. You used wow. to listen to it quite a lot, but I don't know. The, the, the concept of other people's voices <laughs> inviting themselves into my head is, is, is become somewhat disturbing. And so I don't know, as, as somebody doing a podcast, maybe I'm a hypocrite. But <laughs> is that, is that's that meta or something very That different. might be yes. meta. Yes. meta. That might yeah. be doubly meta. I yeah. love it. Oh, let me give you another thought. Please. You know, as part of the closing thoughts, I want to talk with you about a movie that I intended to list on the endless list of movies I list for the best films of 2016 mm -hmm. uh, with, with Arrival with Amy Adams. Mm -hmm. I'm a big Amy Adams fan. I love science fiction movies. I was really not happy with the movie mm -hmm. in a way that was kind of shocking to me. It sometimes happens with movies where I'm expecting to love it with a capital L and then it's, you know, maybe it's hard for that movie to live up to that kind of feeling and it suffers a bit. Maybe that's it for me. But it was just such a strangely unsatisfying film, including the weird slow burn throughout the film and the frankly confusing time-bending flashbacks and flash-forwards. You know, and sometimes the movie breaks down uh, with the aliens and the way they look. This time it was, to me, it was the aliens the way they thought. And this movie is a really cool love letter to linguistics mm -hmm. in many ways, which I enjoyed that. Um, but it was just stunning to me how they suggested these creatures that can travel interstellar space and have solved faster than light travel and can bend time in a space in a way we can't even possibly understand would conflate the words weapon and tool. <laughs> and or allow us to conflate those words in... in and would seem to have problems with our grammar and the ability to either quickly teach or learn the language, including the most very basic me, Tarzan, you, Jane sorts <laughs> of communication. Oh, by the way, spoiler alert. Love Amy Adams, but was not crazy about Arrival. By the way, Jeremy Renner is the white dinner roll of actors. <laughs> I'm just going to leave it there. In which case, Amy Adams is the is the gravy. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I buy that. Uh, last but not least, who is your current queen of cray cray? Homeland's Carrie Matheson, played by Claire Danes, spectacular, or Winona Ryder as Joyce Byers on Stranger Things. <laughs> oh, gotta go with Winona. Gotta oh, go. oh yeah. Yeah, reality bites. I mean, she comes back into public consciousness as a as a whack job. We talked about her a few weeks ago. Got to go with Winona. So I will great. say, when we talked about her, you posed the question, Jeff, as to whether her performance in that series was the worst performance of a uh, of the year or the best performance of the year by a female in a you know supporting role in a TV series. And I think the fact that that question can have reasonable people answering in different ways to me says she's the green cray cray. Love it. Love it. All right, it is a wrap. 
today. Great talking with you guys. We'll yeah. be back next week with this podcast, Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners. Love you guys. Love you guys. Love you guys. Bye. Dr. Zen, why can't you be true? Oh, Dr. Zen, why can't you be true? You don't start out doing the things you used to do. <laughs>